Father, as we lift this word to you and we break it this morning, we ask that you would bless it. That you would bless it for the receiving of our souls because we know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That we may see the, the riches and the depths of your word and what it ministers to our hearts when it comes to comfort, when it comes to admonishment, God, when it causes us to search our souls, that we may be able to find that which we have always been seeking after. And that is the reality and the truth of Jesus Christ. God, to you we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Once upon a time, there was a young boy And this young boy was around the time of Christmas, December, was watching the episode that comes on every year, and we all know it very familiar, Frosty the Snowman. This young boy started to get in this movie cartoon. They started to realize the, the beauty of Frosty the Snowman and the joy and the children were loving it. And there was this young girl named Karen that was his main friend or one of the main characters. And there was also another man by the name of Mr. Hinkle that wanted to get this top hat that caused Frosty the Snowman to come to life. And so all throughout this little cartoon he's following after him there in the woods it's cold and this young girl Karen begins to get cold now Frosty is more concerned now with her that he needs to protect her so he slides away down a hill to a greenhouse and seeking refuge he goes in this greenhouse thinking well it'll get her some warmth I'm probably going to suffer a little bit of loss but It'll be okay, a little bit will be all right. And they go in the greenhouse. Well, Mr. Hinkle comes along and he slams the door shut and he locks him in there. And then the next scene that you see is uh, Karen is weeping over a puddle of water. And she was in despair. She, what happened to him, my friend? And it was at that point where this young boy that was watching literally began to weep at the loss that had just taken place. And there was at that moment a, a loss of hope. And it became so real that this little boy felt it. And so he wept with Karen, not knowing what was going to happen to Frosty the Snowman, right? We know the story. He goes on to uh, come back again to life and but the reality of the hope that was lost. Well, this little boy that was once upon a time was me. I was very young. And I remember watching that movie. I was by myself and it, it brought me to tears because of the reality of this loss. This is similar to what we are facing in this portion of scripture today. In a similar sense, 
but way bigger in magnitude. Because you don't compare Frosty the Snowman to the God of the universe, but you get the point, right? Jesus is dead. He gave up his spirit. He's hanging on a cross, a dead corpse now. You have to imagine what they're thinking. What, what now? I really wasn't prepared for this. I know he told me about it, but I really wasn't prepared for it to happen this way, this day. I mean, I kind of maybe figured in the back of my mind that Jesus, he, he, he rose Lazarus from the dead. He did so many miracles. He escaped when they wanted to stone him and kill him. I, I figured he would have done the same thing and he wouldn't have, this wouldn't have happened. I, I really maybe didn't think this was going to happen. So again, you want to put your feet in the sandals of the Israelites and figure out what, what just happened. Got to gather myself and figure all of this out. Their minds were perplexed. Their souls were troubled. Their spirits are crushed. The same way this boy had his spirit crushed. But we know, even in all of that, God is still in control. Of course, this was written to happen like this. And that's the fact that we trust in. God's sovereignty. Now, it was not uncommon for the Romans to leave a body hanging on a cross dead for several days, leaving it there to rot so that it could be consumed and, and devoured by wild beasts and the birds of the air. This they did to make a statement to any individual who may have thought to commit any kind of crime. This is exactly what can happen to you. When you have two men, Joseph of Arimathea and the man Nicodemus. The Bible says they were secret disciples of Christ. Joseph for fear of the Jews, Nicodemus also. But you wonder, were they secret because it's not something that they really cared to just demonstrate so quickly to the world, but it was actually because they truly had him secretly hidden in his heart. They were well-renowned men. They were known. They weren't just your regular Jew. Joseph of Arimathea, Mark 15 tells us that he was a well-respected member of the Sanhedrin, the council. They had power. Luke chapter 23 tells us of Joseph that he actually didn't consent to their deeds. I don't agree with what you're doing to this man. It says that he was a good man, a just man. And he also awaited, just like you and I, the kingdom of God. Now here in John chapter 19, we see that he actually went to Pontius Pilate and he asked, as a matter of fact, he begged for the body of Jesus. And when they gave it to him. He personally took his body down. Now. If anybody has ever. I would hope that you haven't. But if you have ever. Tried to. Hold a body. That has been deceased. Dead weight is not very easy to carry. It's a struggle. You have Nicodemus that John chapter 3, we see he comes and it says that he was a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. 
another man had power. He told Jesus, we know that you're a man come from God. We know that you are sent by God. But yet he didn't know the deeper matters of being born again. And Jesus said, you're a teacher of the law, but you don't know this. And that's the famous when Jesus said, unless a man is born of blood and water and the spirit, he will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, apparently this hit the heart of Nicodemus. In John chapter 7, we see that they're wanting to stone Jesus again. They're wanting to come against him. His brothers, his own brothers didn't believe in him. They're accusing him of casting out demons by other demons, by himself being demonically possessed. They're wanting to falsely accuse him. And Nicodemus says, does our law judge a man before it hears him? You can't just accuse him and pin something on him without actually listening to the whole matter. And again, here in John 19, he shows up with a mixture of myrrh and aloes. The Bible says about 100 pounds. That is a lot. Two wealthy men, two well-known men. And when it came down to the bottom of it all, they no longer hid, but they came out in public, regardless of what was going to come against them. Regardless of the lashback from the other Pharisees and the Jews, they still stood up and said, we're going to do something about it. Now, all of this, when Luke chapter 23, verse 49, tells us that while all of this is happening, Jesus' acquaintances and the woman the women that followed him from Galilee, they stood at a distance watching these things. The people who followed him, the people who trusted, the people who ate of the bread that was multiplied, the people who saw the miracles, some of them, the miracles were performed on them, they stood at a distance watching. Now we're reading Revelation on Wednesdays and we, every church says, I know your works. I see what you're doing. Oh, of course, he knows what we're going through, hard times, but he also knows the reality of our heart. And verse 40 says that they took the body of Jesus, they bound it in strips of linen with spices, as was the custom of the Jews to bury. Isaiah chapter 53 says that they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. So this was a prophecy fulfilled. The rich, Joseph, Nicodemus, rich men, he's here with them at the end. Isaiah 53, the prophecy fulfilled. They're taking his body. Again, not an easy thing to wrap him up. They bound it in strips of linen along with the spices. And this was to preserve the smell of the body decomposing. You got to realize by this time rigor mortis was kicking in it's just not very easy to handle him psalm chapter 16 verse 10 says that the lord will not allow his holy one to see decay again prophecy being fulfilled let's preserve his body let's anoint him with this with these spices with these aloes with this myrrh and this myrrh wasn't just as petals and it was mixed into an ointment an oil by this time it had to be crushed 
and they would wrap him, they would anoint him, they would wrap him again and anoint him. Because again, the smell of death is not a pleasant smell. But you have to worry what was going on in their minds. Sometime back, I was called to the hospital to go be with a family who lost their loved one, their father, their brother. And I went, and of course, this gentleman had not been passed for 30 minutes, and they, the um, emergency room doctor took me into the back to view the body. So he was freshly deceased, and we were in the room. And as I'm thinking and pondering, I, I look at this gentleman and I see a wound on his hand that had happened about a month previously when he was still alive. And it was still in the process of healing. And I remember as I was looking at him, I looked at that womb and it caused me to think of conversations that we had when he had the womb, when we would stand together in fellowship. And this is what was going on with Joseph and Nicodemus. The dried blood on the face of Jesus all over his body. The open wounds up close and personal. No longer from the cross, but right here. Thorns, pieces of thorns broken off into the skin of his head. You could probably see Tear stains that had washed away the blood as they made a path down his face. And of course, they saw his side that was pierced. They're seeing all of this and they're probably remembering. I remember when he told me this was going to happen. I didn't think it was probably going to be this bad. Only they know, only God knows what they were thinking. But we can begin to imagine what was going through their minds. Should we just, don't worry about wrapping him up, just leave him. He said he was going to rise in three days, so just let him alone. But of course, prophecy has to be fulfilled. When we, when we walk in faith with God, doesn't mean that we leave things untied just because we believe God's going to take care of it. We have to move forward in faith, still doing what we're called to do, and God causes everything to fall back into place. Verse 40, 41 says that they laid him in a tomb. And it said that this was a place where no man had ever laid before. It was brand new. Now, some uh, commentaries say that this was because if it was a used grave, there would be bones in there. And let's just say that Jesus did raise from the dead, uh, the Jews could have said, well, it was because his bones actually came into contact with the bones of another body who had the Spirit of God, and there would be the excuse. So nobody had laid there. There was good reason for this happening, of course. God ordaining it all. But I would say that this would be more true of no man laying in this grave before. 
Because no man, no person, no entity, no power, nothing has ever laid in the same position with the same opportunity like the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody. Nothing. Our spouses can't die so that we can receive what Jesus can give us. Our careers can't give us what the Lord Jesus can give to us. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not the Dalai Lama, not Joseph Smith. Nobody ever laid in that position. As good as they would say, oh yes, Muhammad did this. I see his bones, you still have them there. Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father. So it says that they laid him to rest for the day was coming to an end. And this is the final resting place. I'm not talking about the resting place as we know it, as we know to lay people to rest. Because even though he was dead, we know the story, he was going to rise again three days later. But what is this rest that I'm talking about? Just to die and to remain there? No. Although there is individuals who think that when we die, we just go into the grave and we lay there. But answer me, what kind of hope is there in that? That's it. This life was for that, just to live and then be buried in the ground. It's not much fun in that. I mean, the average lifespan of man is about 70 years, but if we're blessed by the Lord God, He gives us more. But yet, is that it? Jesus said, unless, uh, uh, unless a seed fall to the ground and die, it abides alone. And this is exactly what happened. He was the seed and he died and he was buried in the ground. And when he rose up, he bore much fruit. And that fruit is every individual who believes upon him. And, and every time that fruit dies and, and, and it also sprouts forth and it produces fruit. And it's a continuing action. What does it minister, this rest, especially for us today? Because when an individual dies, the common phrase is what? Rest in peace. R.I.P. Well, you see it. Well, you see it driving around town with all these Halloween setups going around, little graves, tombs, R.I.P. But do you ever stop to think about what it means? Rest in peace. But can we really say of individuals that they do rest in peace? What does it mean, rest in peace? Matter of fact, the phrase came from Christianity. And when people caught on to it, they began to put it on tombstones. Why? Because anyone who's in Christ, they do rest in the peace of God. But it's deeper than just resting in a place of dirt. That's six feet. Oh, it's, it's way greater than that. And that's what I would like us to see this morning. The Bible says that because of the first man, Adam, all of mankind, you, me, 
we inherited sin and death because of the first man, Adam. So this is a story of two Adams. The second Adam being Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 5. One of them speaks of death. The other one speaks of life. And we have a story of two gardens. Genesis chapter 2 and John chapter 19. In Genesis chapter 2, Adam laid there and he entered a deep sleep that was caused by the Lord God himself. In John chapter 19, Jesus was laid in a garden as well to sleep. And this too was by the will of God. And because of the sleep of Adam, or because of his rest, the Lord took a rib from his side. And what did he do? He prepared for him a wife, a bride. Well, because of the sleep or the rest of Jesus, the Lord, due to that water that came out of his side, produces for him what? A bride. Through the salvation that comes from that water and the blood that came out of his side. The first Adam rose after this rest to experience what? Death eternally. As we would as well. But this second Adam, Jesus Christ, he rose again that we would experience life eternally. Before Adam fell and after God created him, we're introduced to a final place of rest. Genesis chapter 2. Verse 2 says that on the seventh day, God ended his work in which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and he sanctified it, because in it he rested from all the work which God had created and made. This is called the Sabbath, the day of rest and a day of reflection. That's what the Jewish people did. We're not going to work. Now, they got a little legalistic with it. Don't flip a light switch. Don't start a fire. Don't even push a button to an elevator because that's considered work. But regardless, the concept that God had in mind is you rest, don't work. And not only are you going to rest, but take the time that you're resting to reflect on who I am. And more importantly, who I am in your life. The Sabbath. The Sabbath was initiated before the law, though it's included as part of the law, the Ten Commandments. Oh, but it came into being way before the law was. So it's not part of the law. This was from the very beginning in Genesis. He made man and then he rested. Mark chapter 2, verse 27. They're arguing the Pharisees with Jesus because they said, your disciples, they're, they're picking grain and they're eating on the Sabbath and this is not cool. This is not going to cut it. 
Jesus said, haven't you heard what David did when he went to the tabernacle? And so Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. This rest, this day of rest and reflection, it was made for you. You weren't made for that. And they've got it backwards. Therefore, the Son of Man is what? He's also Lord of the Sabbath. I'm above the Sabbath. It's only in the Sabbath that we find the people of God resting. They still do it to this day, the Jews. Friday afternoon before sundown, everything is prepared. Again, they have automatic elevators that you don't have to push the button going up or down. They're already situated to go. They have ovens, which I just discovered that when I got my oven. It's got a sabbatical mode where you set it and it'll turn on at the time you want it to so that you don't have to push that button because it's considered work. They've taken it a little bit too far. But the whole point was to reflect, to rest. Now, I don't think there's anyone in this room who doesn't like rest. Not only do we like it, but we need it. And to reflect on what God has done, on who he is. Now, if Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, then we would say that the same way they rest on the Sabbath, it's only in Christ that we enter our true rest. And that's what the Bible tells us. Just as the Lord rested upon the completion of His work on the seventh day in Genesis, in the same manner after the Lord's complete work on the cross, we're now able to rest in Him. This is the important thing. Because there's many believers that have yet to grab a hold of this rest. Because as I said last week, and drinking from that rock of Moses being the law, they're still left with this thirst and this desire. That was what the whole Sabbath was. You don't have to work, just rest. We trust in Jesus and we don't have to work for our salvation. You can't be a good person. Matter of fact, the rich man said, good teacher, what good thing can I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? Well, keep the Lord's commandments. Oh, I've done all of that from my youth. Really? Okay. Go sell all that you have. Then come back and see me. The man left away. Sad. But he already broke the commandments. Because he idolized his material things more than he did the Lord Jesus. So the law actually shows us our need for a Savior. The law shows us that we are lawbreakers. But Jesus Christ says, you don't have to work to inherit what I've prepared for you. All you have to do is trust and rest in me. And when you can understand that concept, it's the most beautiful thing. And it brings a freedom upon a soul that's why you have Christians that are just so full of joy. No matter what befalls them, how are you so happy? Why? And some people despise it and they get angry. But why? Because I have true freedom. 
That only comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, you might get it when you get a new vehicle. Brand new Mercedes-Benz still has the new car smell, but guess what? When the new car smell is gone, or when the small child spills a drink, a red drink, punch in that vehicle, guess what? My joy is gone because I'm pretty angry now. I think we've all experienced that. As a matter of fact, the joy of even marrying the spouse that we've always desired, it's only a matter of time before that joy has a tendency to want to be gone. Why? Because our fulfillment is not in a spouse. Our fulfillment is in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where it should be. Because nothing else will please us. Finances won't please us. They'll do it for a little bit. But they're sure to disappoint. It's a promise. Careers disappoint, children disappoint, uh, presidents. We're not, uh, a president's not going to satisfy us. Presidents will disappoint us. As a matter of fact, I think we're all disappointed right now. Our election systems aren't going to satisfy us regardless of whether there's problems going on. And, and I think we could go on a different way with that. But the thing is, is there's no satisfaction in nothing but in trusting and resting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I can come in here and I can give you a word about how you are called to be blessed and highly favored. I can give you a word about how you can call out to God and, and feel excited and stir up your emotions. But the time you leave the door, you're not rest, resting and trusting in him any longer. And so that's why we choose to make more of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 11 Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. All of you who labor and you're heavy laden, you're working and you're tired. Now we know what work is and we know what being tired is, especially us men, if we work diligently. Women that are single, that are working, that are trying to provide. Yes, we, we know what it is to work and we know what it is to be tired. But he says, come to me. Now, Jesus isn't talking about the physical labor. Jesus is not talking about working out in the fields, picking the grain. He's talking about the law. Come to me, all you who labor, all of you who are trying to win my affection by your good works. Come to me because you're working and you're trying to please me. And all you're doing is making yourself tired. And it's abhorring me. I'm not pleased with it. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find what? Rest for your souls. That's like a cold glass of water on a hot day. Listening to those words. I will give you rest for your souls. Your souls may be grieved right now. But if not, you have felt them. Parched and weary before. He says, I will give you rest for your souls. Your souls consists of your mind and your will and your emotions. All of that, I'll satisfy it. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
I'm not like the yoke of the law. The yoke of the law, it's rough. It's, 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 it's not pleasant. Again, trying to keep those Ten Commandments, and I don't know about you, but when I was younger and I was ignorant and I didn't know about the things of God, well, I'm going I'm to please God because I'm going to stop doing this, and I'm going to stop doing that, and I'm going to stop doing that. And guess what? It lasted at the most maybe two weeks, and I was tired. I'm sick of this already. I can't keep up with it. Well, that's exactly the deception that Satan himself would love us to fall into. Let him get tired. Let him get tired trying to please God instead of just trusting, believing, and resting upon him. Jeremiah chapter 6, children of, uh, of Israel, again, Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, he's called the weeping prophet. And as a matter of fact, he wasn't the most liked of prophets because he came and he came with the word of God. And Jeremiah, uh, the Lord said, is my word not like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces? And what he's talking about is the hardness of your heart. The word of God will break that hardness. It's not going to feel good. But in order so that it could be softened. They're following all of their own desires and, and they're uh, all over the place. And he says, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is. When you find it, walk in it. And then you will find rest for your souls. Now the Israelites, he went on to tell them, they said, we're not going to walk in it. Now, they didn't literally say, I'm not going to walk that way. But just by the way they choose to live their lives, they were saying, I'm not willing to walk in that. They were choosing to walk in dismay, choosing to walk in the difficult things. And again, I think we can all be familiar with that. Why did I do that? I just brought more hell upon my own life with this decision that I made. But he says, stand in the ways and see. You, now, me, Christian, stand in the way. Look at everything in the world. Stand there and see. Take a look at everything. Look at everything that's happening. Play it all out. But you, ask your heart. Ask God for the good way. Look for the old paths. What are the old paths? The old paths that, that people would follow where that's where you find true rest. They point to the Lord. Yes, they're narrow. They're not wide. And people don't go through narrow roads. Why? Well, I don't want to be crowded up. I just want to go my own way. But this narrow way, one man set the path and his name is Jesus Christ. And he said, follow me. Follow me through this path. And we go through that path. He said, when you do that, when you find it and you follow it, you will find rest for your souls, yes, uh, for them, they walked many, many miles. But their sandals didn't wear out, neither did their clothes. Well, we're not walking in that sense. We're not in a, in, in a wilderness, but we are in the wilderness of the world. And we go through difficult situations, but at the end of the day, we're not wore out. Why? Because God sustains us. He's trying to give us this rest. And I would say that this final resting place, this place of resting in peace, 
We don't have to wait until we take our last breath so that we can rest in it. We can actually rest in peace right now. Yeah, I know to the carnal mind it doesn't sound good. Wait a minute, don't, don't even say that to me. And you may have the mystical Christian that says you're speaking death. Don't say that out of your mouth. Oh no, I'm resting in peace. His name is Jesus Christ. Resting in peace is trusting, first of all, in the provision of Jesus Christ with his work on the cross. Yes, the blood. Yes, the wounds. Yes, the humiliation. Trusting in all of that. Why? Because the Bible says that he considered that joy. And as a matter of fact, because of that, he learned obedience. And it's a training tool for us as well. The water that flowed from the side of Christ is this life-giving water from the well of salvation. That's how his bride is produced, right? Not from a rib. The Bible says that flesh gives birth to flesh. Eve was made from a rib. But yes, they were still in a carnal state. But the blood and water that came out from the side of Christ produces a bride for Jesus Christ that is without spot, wrinkle, and blemish. And he is proud of that bride. And he's there for that bride. And that bride is us, you, man, woman, anyone who trusts in the work of Jesus Christ. And he will never leave us or forsake us. And that's something that causes us to rest. I know that my God's not going to leave me. Or I know what it looks like. And I hear people bumping their gums that where's his God? It doesn't matter. My God is in here. As we worship, that said, there's a place and my God is in my heart. It's not going to leave me. What's it to you uh, if, if you think that he's going to abandon me? It doesn't matter what you think. All that matters is what I know in my heart is that we've said many times before, come hell or high water, it doesn't matter how bad it looks, God is with me. But do we really believe that? If we're trusting, if we're resting, absolutely we believe it. But if there's still a desire within, I, I still desire more, something is missing, then you're not fully trusting. And this is the important thing. This is what has to be ministered. Not just a, okay, I believe and it's done and, and they, you know, you just continue like nothing has ever changed in your life. No. Because the person uh, who has rested in peace, they've experienced what? Death. Most definitely. If someone came to you and I and said, uh, this person, they, they passed on. Well, I still see him breathing and moving. I saw him at the movies last night. It's not going to happen. But when we've experienced this rest, something happens in our life. And something's definitely going to change. It's not going to be the same. The water that came out, it made Christ his bride. That's what flowed and pro provided the rock, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we saw it last week. That rock that was in the wilderness, the Apostle Paul said that rock was Jesus Christ that followed him. And we saw that as they're in the wilderness, they were saved, they were redeemed, they were baptized, they, they went through the Red Sea. 
They've experienced baptism. I'm in Christ. I'm following God. Now you're in the wilderness. And now they were in despair. And we saw that 1 Corinthians 10 said they were an example for us. Why? What happened? Well, they kept on thirsting and complaining and lusting. And God wasn't pleased with them. And because of it, they um, were scattered in the wilderness. But Hebrews chapter 4 Verse 11 tells us, let us therefore be diligent to enter into that rest. Lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. What example? Those guys in the Old Testament. Just flip to the left side of the Bible. Read the wilderness journeys. Oh yeah, again, we put our feet in our sandals. They probably might have had a good just cause, but again, complaining is not going to fix anything. Worrying is not going to fix anything. Being angry is not going to fix anything. None of those things is going to do anything good for us other than make our life a living hell. That's all it's going to do, and it's going to be displeasing to the Lord God, and it's at that point where we're not trusting, we're not resting in that rock. The same water they desired gave them life physically. This is the same water that we're to desire that gives us life spiritually, internally. Water. Just listening to the flow of water when you're thirsty is pleasing, is it not? Water gives us life. Water restores us. Water rejuvenates us. If you've ever worked on a hot, hot day, Dr. Pepper's not going to cut it. And I would even say that a cold, ice cold Budweiser, it's not going to cut it. It's not. Why do you think they continue to drink another one? And another one. It's not going to cut it, but it's this life-giving water that says, God, you're, you're, you're quenching my thirst, God. That's a reality of the gospel. He rejuvenates us, he restores us, and this water does much more in our bodies. It helps our bodies to produce more life-giving cells to our skin that's dying every day. It's shedding. So if there's no water, then there's nothing being reproduced. You look at all the plants, there's not a plant out there, a life-giving source, because we breathe because of the plants and the trees. They need what? Water? I have yet to see a tree or a plant that doesn't need any water. You look at all the animals, you look at all the insects, as a matter of fact, they flock to water. I need this water to live. Now we're looking at this water being from the rock of Christ, this uh, the water of His Word, the water of His Holy Spirit. And it restores us and it rejuvenates us. I'm alive now. This is what the Bible would call drinking from the well of salvation. It's what the prophet Isaiah said. This is the final resting place for all those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You're familiar with it. Maybe you're drinking that water now and praise God because that's what we're trying to do is lead you to that well. But maybe you haven't. But I remember a time in my life when, oh, I was parched and dry and because of it, I didn't want to live. Give me a drink of that water. But yet I never encountered anyone who could lead me to that well. Till the day came that I despaired of life and I called out to the Lord himself and he led me. He came and that's what his desire is to do with every believer. Verse 42 says that they laid him to rest. Because the, the preparation day for the tomb was nearby. And I would say that this is where we also lay and rest at. In his rest. Because death and the tomb for you and me, they're nearby. They're close. I know some individuals don't like to hear that. I don't want to talk about that. Let's put it aside. Matter of fact, I was talking with an individual the other day and the subject of death came up and they said, let's just not talk about that right now. But the truth is, is that death in the tomb is nearby for every single one of us. For some sooner than it is others. But we're laid to rest, who? In trusting in Jesus Christ because that death and tomb are nearby and it awaits us. But as believers, it's also our day of preparation. We're preparing. We're waiting. The Lord can come back at any time and, and, and I'm prepared for this because there's something else that awaits me. But that's not our end. Just like our Lord rose after three days, there comes a day where He's going to resurrect us again as well. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now as believers, if we don't believe that, because it should bring an excitement to us. It should be like this, this water again. I hear it. I'm drinking of it. If it's, if it's not, then uh, Paul said, then your faith is of all men the most to be pitied. All this you believe about God is for nothing. If you don't believe that you're going to be resurrected, if you don't believe that you're going to live again. So the snowman from the beginning, the one that melted, he went down a hill to find a place of refuge for this young girl. And he found a place of refuge in a life-giving greenhouse. It was nice and warm and it, and it gave uh, produce to life or to plants. But our God, he didn't go down a hill. He went up a hill. And that hill's called Golgotha, Calvary. And he went up there to become a refuge for you and for me. And he did it not through a greenhouse, but he did it through the life-giving source of something called the cross. Our ultimate final rest is in Jesus Christ. Rest. Rest. 
Can you say I'm resting in Jesus today? I'm resting in everything about him. Well, you don't have to be a theologian to rest in Jesus Christ. You just have to trust and believe what his word says. That if you call upon me, you shall be saved. I'll give you to drink of these living waters. But the problem comes again, as we said last week, and I'll say it again this week because it comes together, is through this wilderness journey, like our brethren from the old, we are in this wilderness, and sometimes we're going in circles, and, and these lusts and temptations, they come about trying to uh, pull us and sway us, and I'm not satisfied with you no more, God. You're not, you used to give me joy. I used to clap, and I used to, I used to sing and, and read and pray, but you don't give me joy anymore. I find more joy in this cute young woman that I ran into the other day. Or I find more joy in this new job that I have acquired and I, I, that gives me more joy. Not you any longer, God. And it's at that point that we begin to no longer rest upon Him. And Hebrews says, be diligent to enter into that rest lest we fall according to the same example of those before us. Well, what happened? They were scattered in the wilderness. That's trusting in or resting in Jesus. If you can't say that you're resting in Jesus, then I would urge you, get to the point, call out to God or find you a, 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 a devout man or woman of God and say, show me what this means. Pray with me. Help me because I want to rest in Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about leading you in a prayer of salvation to say, God, just forgive me and thank you. And No, I'm talking about explain the gospel to me. An individual that's willing to sit there and pray with you, even if it takes all night long. That's a life-giving source. But only life can give birth to life. Our ultimate goal and I would say that every individual in this world who's ever taken a breath, that's what they're searching after. Oh, they don't know it yet, some of them, but that's what they're searching after. Man, we're so good at searching for it in all the wrong places. But praise God when it comes to a point where we said, I found that which I was looking for. I found the fountain and the well that has no end and there is an, an infinity there. And like the Samaritan woman, she left the well. She left her water pot because the water pot doesn't matter anymore because I found the whole well. And she said, come see about a man. That's our ultimate goal. To rest in Jesus Christ. We can rest in peace now. You might say, it still doesn't sound right to me. I rest in peace. I equate it with death. No. Well, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3 says that if you are in Christ, what? You already died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. So yes, the old me, he's gone. So if we can understand we have died, then I can rest in peace. I don't need a tombstone to rest in peace. 
Resting in the peace of Jesus Christ that there's no more hostility, there's no more uh, gates of hell that await me, but I am in the secret place of God's presence now. I belong to Him. I've been bought with a price. I have been redeemed. I no longer have to thirst or desire for all of these things that just want to, hey, look over here. Hey, no, over here. No, Jesus, keeping our eyes on the cross. As I told someone this week, Peter, when he stepped out of the boat, he said, Lord, bid me to come. The Lord said, come. Peter started going. And Peter was doing the miraculous. He was doing the miraculous by walking on water. But when he began to look at everything that was against him, when he began to see uh, the wind and the waves and the noise, and he focused on that, he took his eyes off of Jesus. And what happened? He sunk. And he said, Lord, save me. The Lord reached out his hand and pulled him up. Well, Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that we are accompanied by such a cloud of great witnesses. And it says, because of this, um, to set our eyes on Jesus, to be looking upon Jesus. And who is he? The author and the finisher of our faith. And what does that mean? To literally take your eyes off of one thing to place it on another. So we take our eyes off of everything that comes against us, whether it's a good thing that wants to get our attention or a bad thing, and we put them on Jesus. And guess what happens when we do that? We're able to do the miraculous. And what is the miraculous? To live a godly life in Christ Jesus. No longer being the person that I used to be. That's a place of rest. That's the final place of rest for a Christian. It is in Jesus Christ. No. It's not in a grave. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. One day everything will be made brand new and we will be reunited in that place. This It's what a believer desires. To the person who's uninterested, to the person who's turned off, to the person who's not, you're not in Christ. You don't know Him. Call out to Him. But to the person who's trusted in Jesus, then, exactly, brother, they're going to say, Amen. Because that's something that I can look forward to. Do I understand it all? No. We're not called to understand it all. We're called to trust and to believe. I've been made into a new person. That's our charge. We hold this here to high esteem. That's why we're going to preach in a way that's pleasing to God, not unto man. In a sense, like Paul said, I'm sorry that I hurt you to the Corinthians, but I'm not sorry. Because our goal is, yeah, we want the word of God to become a rock, to break the hardness of your heart into pieces so that then he can take out that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Then you can rest in him and join us as we eagerly await. As we are in Revelation, the the Apostle John said, come quickly, Lord Jesus, but until then, help me to abide and occupy. That's our final resting place. If that's your final resting place, you're full of joy. Your life is water. You're not parched. You're not drying up inside. You're not bitter. And might I say, that's God's desire for every single one of us. But He's not going to make not a single individual do it. 
God is glorified when we say, God, give me a drink of this water, Lord. Put him to the test. Call out to him that way. Tell people that don't know Christ. Put him to the test. Call out to him in that way. And see what God will do. Because that's what he came for. That the world through him might be saved. But the warning is, many of them are going to reject him. And a lot of those many are going to be individuals who sit in pews, in chairs, every single Sunday for five years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years. Many of them are going to preach. And they won't enter. Just make it a point to make sure in our heart of hearts, my rest is in the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't go wrong with that. Let's pray. God, if there's one thing that I pray, I hope, I desire, is that we would all understand to a greater depth, to a greater magnitude of what it is to rest, God. To rest in you. Yes, we, we stop from all works. We stop from every attempt to try to please you so we can earn our salvation. And we reflect on the goodness of who you are and what you have done. And we trust in that. And we trust in that, God. You give us your peace. You make us reborn through that living water that you said out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. Not a little creek. It's not a little spigot, but it's a river of living water. God, your church needs restoration. Your people need rejuvenation. They need their thirst quenched. Today is no different than the people of old in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, God, we're not different. We get tired. No, not trying to please you for salvation, but we get tired just walking around this weary world that your word says we're not a part of this anymore. But as we practice our dual citizenship, help us to stay faithful here to you as you're preparing that place for us, God. That we would rejoice knowing that I know things are going to happen. But that's all right. Because I know that my God is in control. If He formed the heavens, if He hung the stars, He definitely knows what's happening in my life and He's in control of it. But God, help me to make the right decisions and to move forward in faith. And God, if that's not a desire for some, make that thirst come about, God. That's our prayer. That's a prayer that you can answer. We know that you're faithful. We thank you for that. Help us to just be as faithful to you, Lord. God, we pledge our allegiance to you. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.